Well, once again, good morning. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here, and we are so glad that you've joined us for our ninth anniversary. You just heard from Bob Goff, and he did write the book Love Does. As pastors Matt and Greg told you, it's the book that we're kind of rallying around for the launch of our small groups. And so if you're interested in that today, all you have to do is use your Connect card to sign up. I hope you'll do that. If you get bored while I'm talking, it's a good time to look through your catalog. That's how we provided it for you to appeal to every, every type of person in the room. Hey, let me ask you a question before I get rolling into the message today and take us into God's Word. How many of you guys, just by show of hands, have a Facebook page? Raise your hand real quick. Yeah, that's the bulk of everybody in the room. Uh, that's, that, that's amazing. How many of you guys used to have one, but you don't anymore? Anybody in the room? Okay, good. How many of you have gotten one in the last six months? All right, so, so here, here's what I'm talking about Facebook, because it's an integral part of our society. Wait, let me just share with you a few cool stats about Facebook. 1.15 billion users globally. It's massive. It's massive. The, uh, the, the number of people that have joined in the last 30 days is 50 million people. Those stats are just a few days old. 50 million people around the world have joined Facebook. When you put a post on Facebook, you're joining with 4 billion different posts made every single day. 1.58 trillion likes in the last three years. Now, our message today isn't about Facebook, but have you ever stopped to think what's really going on there? What's really going on there, I think, is that people want to be known for something. They want to be known for something. And it's very difficult in our world to connect with folks, with, with people, and really get known. And yet we long for that, don't we? Don't we want to have people that know us, that we connect with, that celebrate our wins and cry with us over our losses, that help shoulder our challenges with us? We get to do life with them. Well, you might be surprised to know this today. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've been around church for a while. But God designed this thing called the church to be the very place where you get to be known, where I get to be known, where your wins get to be celebrated, where your losses get to be rallied around by people who care deeply for you, where the burdens you're carrying, where the weight you're carrying, somebody will come alongside and help you. God designed the church to be that very place. Now, depending on your experience, depending on your history and what you've been through, the words I just said about what God made the church to be either resonate deeply with you and you think, yes, that's awesome, or you have another emotion or two. You're thinking, well, that's not been my experience in the local church. And so what we're going to do in this message series as we explore these tangible ways that love expresses itself, we're going to be talking about what God has called his followers towards. Christians, Jesus followers, people who make Jesus the Lord of their life. That's what we're going to be talking about. And I'm, I'm going to just let you in right at the beginning that what I'm talking about really is what we aspire to, not necessarily what we always live up to, all right? What we aspire to, but not what we always live up to. And I'd like you to give me a little bit of grace as we do that. Give, give the church, the big C church globally, a little bit of grace, especially if you've had a bad experience or you, you have some impression about the, the church globally. Give me a little bit of grace because what we're going to talk about today, I think it's that same kind of challenge. Here's what I know about me, and maybe you can relate. That like the 1.15 billion Facebook users, I want to be known for something. I do. I want to be known for something. I, I want you to look at me and have certain impressions. I want you to think that I'm fairly articulate and easy to understand. I desperately want you to think that I'm intelligent. 
I want my kids to think that I'm a good dad. I want our congregation to think that I'm a good pastor. I want my teams to think that I'm a good leader. I want my wife to think that oh, I know she thinks I'm a great lover. Um, that's just, just the way I am. I, I want you to know certain. I want to be known for something. I want to be known for something. Like the 1.15 billion Facebook users, um, I, we, we want to be known for something. But the truth of the matter is, is sometimes there's a gap. Sometimes there exists in my life, and I bet it's true for you as well, a gap between what I want to be known for and what's really going on. In fact, let me illustrate that for you this way for just a moment. What I want to be known for, good dad, good leader, good pastor, and what's really going on. This area right here for today, we're calling the gap. I know this because I'm intuitive and bright and intelligent and smart and all that good stuff that I want you to believe about me, but I also know it because I hear it from you sometimes, people in this congregation, my friends, my family, that I'm not the only one that lives sometime with the pressure of this gap between who I want you to know me as, what I really value, what I hope my life is marked by, what I want to be known for, and what's really going on in my life. Now, sometimes in, in the social networking world, you can prop up a certain reality about yourself. And you can maintain it relatively easy by the types of posts you put, what you like, what you don't like, what you comment on, the pictures, the, the, the shares that you do on Facebook. You can, you can prop up a certain image of yourself. And all of us are susceptible to propping up certain images because there are things we value, there are things we aspire to, and they're okay. It's okay to want to, if you're in the room today and you're a father, to want to be known to be a great dad. That's awesome. If you're a mom today, it's okay to want to be known to be a great mom. It's a wonderful thing to be known for. If you're a boss, if you're a leader, it's okay to want to be known as a leader worth following. Those are wonderful things to be aspire. If you're a student, it's okay to want to be known as a studious person, an intelligent person. There's nothing wrong with that. But all of us, if we're honest, experience from time to time the gap between what we aspire to and where life really is. So let me ask you a question. What do you do with the pressure that the gap creates? What do you do with the pressure that the gap creates? Now, we're not the only people that feel this way. People who are very famous feel this gap sometimes. Sometimes somebody who's very famous that has a certain persona in our culture that we look at them and have certain opinions about, sometimes they'll act in a way that doesn't match their persona. And when you're very famous and you have a lot of money, one of the things that you'll consider doing, if that were you, is going and hiring an image consultant. Do you know there are people who make millions of dollars a year helping people manage the image that they're projecting? They do. They take what all of us do on some level when we experience the gap and understanding that we all want to be known for something, and they're able to do it on a professional level and pay somebody to come in and say, here's how we're going to prop up your image. So athletes who get into trouble, they'll do this. Movie stars who get into trouble. Politicians do it all the time. They go and hire an image consultant. Image management is big business. It's huge. 
Millions of dollars every year is spent on propping up an image to manage the gap that happens between what we want to be known for and what's really going on. But if you don't have millions of dollars, it doesn't mean you're not participating in this. We tell certain stories and we avoid telling others. Some of you probably experienced this on the way to church on, on a microcosm kind of level. At least Jill and I have done this many times. We'll argue all the way to church. And we got you know, four kids in our suburban and we're arguing all the way to church. And just before we get there, I turn around and I say to the kids, you better not tell anybody about this conversation. <laughs> you know how we manage that? You know how we manage that? I don't ride to church with her anymore. We, we take two cars. Now, on a microcosm level, all I'm doing is I want to be known for something. What I want to be known for is good. It's valid. It's helpful. It's even godly. Jill and I have a healthy marriage. We don't argue on a level that's unhealthy, and my kids are well-adjusted and balanced and smart and handsome and beautiful, and they have great potential. I, that's what I want to be known for. But the reality is sometimes that's not exactly what we're experiencing. And that gap can create tension. Sometimes it's relatively easy to manage. Sometimes it's hard to manage. I'm not the only one that wants to be known for stuff. You want to be known as a good parent, good husband, good father, good worker, good athlete. You want to be known for being a great parent. And you illustrate that you want to be known for that by talking about how awesome your kids are. Some of you want to be known that you're such a good parent and your kids turn out to be such an amazing athlete and so you stand around and you tell stories about how you had to adjust your vacation because your kid's in some national tennis program and you were going to go to Hawaii but now you can't because your kid's so awesome and everybody's kind of like, we've heard this story before, right? Well, what is that thing we do? It's natural. I'm not even saying it's wrong. But, but wouldn't you agree with me that just like the global church that sometimes is called to do something that we don't always live up to. We aspire to it, but the reality is in the local church and in your life, there can be a gap. What are you going to do with the pressure that that gap creates? Can I tell you what the tendency is? The tendency, <laughs> the tendency is to cover the gap, to cover the gap. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they realized they were naked, they they cover, they, and they, project, they want to project, we want to project a certain image, and we want to keep hidden all, all, all this other stuff that doesn't reinforce what we want to be known for. What does the covering look like? It looks like excuse making. Sometimes it looks like deception. Sometimes we tell lies, or we exaggerate, or we, we tell the truth, but only the pieces of the truth that really paint us in the in the when we feel the pressure of the gap, and you have felt it, I have felt it, every single person feels it, when we feel the pressure of the gap, and we really value, we really want to be known for something, we'll cover it. Now, it's this covering that I want to investigate today. It's this covering because I think that what we need more than, to being known, more than we need to be known for something, I think that the Bible, God's word, God's gift to us that tells us his wisdom to be lived in this world, I think the Bible holds for us a different value than simply being known for stuff. I think the Bible gives us an antidote that relieves the pressure in a very real way, in a way that doesn't cause us to want to cover and deceive and hide 
I think the Bible gives us an antidote to this gap pressure that I'm talking about, and we're going to explore it in four or five different verses today. I'm using a sentence to describe this gap pressure relieving antidote from God's word. Here it is for you on the screen. I think that we know that we want to be known for. We know what we want to be known for, but we're not really sure what we want to be, that we really want to be known. We know what we want to be known for, but we're not really sure that we want to be known. When I'm thinking about this for myself, here's what I mean. When I'm thinking about this for myself, the challenge I have is, is that, well, if you really knew me and what was really going on in my life, if you really knew me and what was really going on in my life, <laughs> can I be honest? You probably wouldn't be sitting here. That's my fear anyway. Maybe you would. But my fear is, is that I, if I really, instead of did my own image management, Instead of projected the image that I'm trying to impress you with, the thing I want to be known for because they're good traits, if you really got a chance to see me up close and personal, my personal fear is, is that you might not accept me fully. You may not like me. For me, the bigger one is you may not respect me. I'm going to tell you this is a real challenge for me sometimes. I know I'm not alone in this. But I'm a pastor. Some 40, 45 times a year I stand on this stage and I tell you how we're supposed to live the life that God called us to. You want to know where I get that content? I get it from the pages of God's Word, but there's another very alive source as well. I get it from my own life. I regularly experience the gap between what I know I'm supposed to do and what I want to be known for and what's really going on. And the tendency is it's to prop up what I want and be known for, and I struggle with this, that I'm not even sure that I really, really want you to know me. I see this in teenagers when I used to teach high school. A ninth grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader. We have some in the room today. I'm so grateful that you're here. This is your church, and Tuesday nights is where you do small group, but the truth of the matter is what I'm talking today isn't just for adults in the room. It's for all of you as well. If you're in high school and college, the tendency to think that if people really knew us, they wouldn't accept us. And so we hide behind certain words and phrases. We hide behind the way we dress, trying to project a certain image. If we had millions of dollars, we would hire somebody and we would tell them, I want you to paint me as a picture, a picture of a person who does this, who lives this way, who is this, because I'm not sure I can present that fully on my own. But we don't, so we use our words and our clothes and the people we hang around and the people we associate with and the way we carry ourselves and the way we stand. And if you're very self-conscious, every little piece of your behavior is micromanaged and there's a lot of energy going in to image management because we're not sure that if people really knew us that they would accept us. And there's a discrepancy between what you want to be known as and who you really are. Before I reveal to you the full antidote today, let me ask you a basic question. Who knows who you really are? Is there anybody that knows who you really are? Is there anybody that has had a chance to pierce behind the veil, to peer behind the veil, to, to pierce the curtain and look at you? Have you let anybody in? See, I know we all want to be known for something, 
But I think what we need instead is to be known by somebody. I think more than being known for something, the real call of our soul. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I'm talking to you exactly from the pages of Scripture. These are principles we're going to discover in a moment as we open up the Bible. That more important to God, and ultimately, I believe if you'll think about it, maybe you don't agree with me right now, but maybe you will later, maybe you won't, but at least think about this. That ultimately, more important than being known for something, the Bible places a higher value on being known by somebody. Not at this level, but below the gap, where they really know what's going on in your life. And you can relax the image management and you can relax the propping up of what you want to be known as. And you can relax wondering whether or not they're going to accept you. And you can lay down the fear because they really know you as you are. In fact, I'm going to go a little bit deeper and I'm going to say that what we really need is not simply to be known by somebody. What we really need is to be known by a small group of people who can accept us as we are. Not just know us, but accept us as we are and then love us too much to leave us there. Where they really know us and love us, and they know us really, not just at this level. They require so much energy, doesn't it? And so much time. You walk into a new group of people, and you're wondering, I know this for ladies a lot, maybe not all the ladies are, but a lot. Their, their first question when they walk into a new group of people is not, you know, what can I say to contribute to the group? It's not, uh, what are they going to say to contribute to my life? The first question for a lot of ladies in their minds when they walk into a new group of ladies is, is are they going to like me? What, what they're processing there is the gap that happens. What if there were a small group of people who knew you not at this level, but at this level? And as they got to know you, they still loved you and accepted you. This is exactly what God called the local church to be and do. The very place, the local church, is the very place that God created in this world where a small group of people could help you lay down image management and instead live here. And as you're living there, you can be accepted and loved with all the challenges, all the imperfections, all the gap between what you know to do and what you really do all the gap between what you want to be known as and what often really happens in your life. God designed the local church to be that very place to where we can lay down the challenge of propping up an image that we want to be known for and just be known and accepted and loved and in an environment where people love us so much that they rally around who we really are and in love, not condemnation, spur us on to those things that deep down we really want to be true about us. They love an imperfect dad. And call that imperfect dad to step up and be better than he is. Because that's what he wants for himself anyway. And they love the imperfect wife. And they rally around her and they call her to be more than she currently is. Because deep down that is the cry of her soul anyway. But they'll love her through that process. I don't think that really what we need in life is to be known for much. 
But what we need is to have a small group. It doesn't have to be everybody. A small group of people who know us as we really are, that we take the mask off. We can be ourselves. We can tell the harsh story. We can tell the ugly truth. We can share our deepest dreams and aspirations without fear of ridicule or reprisal. And when we do, they love us. They accept us. And God gave to this earth an amazing gift called the local church and commissioned it with this very difficult task to be that place where people could come not even knowing sometimes that they're struggling and they're spending so much, in, so much, so much energy on image management. They don't even know the challenges. But when they walk into a place like this, they experience, well, we, we call it this. We say it's real love now. Not real love when you get cleaned up. Not real love when you take a spiritual bath. Not real love when you vote like us, but real love right now. They get accepted right where they are. The local church. But can we be honest for a minute? Don't we know? That even in the local church, what we aspire to be and what we really are sometimes, there's a gap. So God didn't just commission the local church to live this way. He left the local church instructions on how to live this thing out. And it's not ambiguous and it's not complicated. In fact, it's quite simple. A person who's never opened the pages of the Bible can go to the verses I'm looking at today and understand exactly what God meant in the words we're going to read. The deep stuff that we're going to talk about today is laying right on the surface. And yet it is the deep and rich and nourishing stuff that the local church is supposed to be about. And when I say the local church, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I'm talking about you and me and us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be honest with you. You may agree with me. You may think these are good ideas, but it's not really something that you're called to do. So you have the choice to reject what I'm saying today. But if you're a follower of Jesus, these are the explicit teachings from our Lord. That means our master, our controller, the one in charge, the one who sets the agenda to us about how we're supposed to do it. And you're not going to struggle intellectually at all with the concepts I'm going to present. but you might, like me, understand that there's a gap between what I'm called to do and what I want to do and what I aspire to do and what I want you to know that I do and what I really do. So let's go in our Bibles. If you have them, um, get ready. Turn to James chapter 5. If you don't, if, if you're a guest today or you used to bring a Bible, the words will be on the side screens. You can follow right along. I don't want you to think I'm making this stuff up. We really value God's word around here. So, as you're getting there, I know, I know that we all do image management. And I know what you do it for, because I do it for the same reason. And I know who you're going to do it with, most everybody you live. But who are you going to really do life with? That's what this verse calls us to. Here's what James chapter 5, verse 16 says. Therefore, talking to believers, talking to Christians, talking to people in the local church, therefore... Confess your, <laughs> here's a rough word, sins. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. And then the, the, the verse says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James, the brother of Jesus, writes a letter to Christians in his time. God, through providence, preserved this letter. A few hundred years later, it's collected into a compilation of letters that we now call the New Testament, and we read it today, and when we read it, we're hearing the very ideas and the very thoughts of God. And in those words, we are told, followers of Jesus, confess your sins, your mistakes, your failings. Can you just confess them to God? Of course you can. When it comes to connecting the dot between you and God, connecting the dots, bringing them together, getting rid of the gap between you and God, confessing your sins to God is good enough. But when it comes to managing the gap and getting to a place where you don't have to manage what you're known for and you can really be who you are and still experience love and acceptance, the Bible tells us one of the keys is you and I have to come to a place where we're bold enough to confess our sins one to another. Now, let's be clear. I don't want you to walk up to me today and start telling me your sins. I don't. Good Lord Jesus, I don't want that. And on the other hand, I'd love to know. I mean, just, just, you know, just I'm a little broken that way. But uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a small group of people who you can let down your hair, so to speak, and be yourself. And when you fail, rather than managing the gap by covering, deceiving, lying, projecting, you can just tell the truth. I don't think we need to be known for stuff so much. I think we need a small group of people who know us as we really are, and they love us too much to leave us in that place. And the Bible says that one of the ways we get there is, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, is you confess your sins. And the church then is supposed to model what your heavenly father does when you confess your sins to him. If you're in the room today and you've never confessed your sins to Jesus, here's what you're going to experience when you do that. Your heavenly father is going to look down to you and he's going to say this, I forgive you. I loved you before you told me. I love you after me, you told me. You struggled with telling me, but I already knew. And the local church is supposed to mirror that same kind of ethos, that same kind of passion and emotion. And we already knew you were broken, we just didn't know the details. Thank you for sharing. You're not alone. You're not alone in being broken and experiencing a gap, sometimes a huge gap, between what you really want to be known for because it matters and it's important and where you really are. And when the church is the church healthy... And when the church is living what it's called to, there are pockets of people who are so comfortable with each other. They've built enough trust. People are bold enough to risk. And they're able to tell their faults. And we don't condone the faults, but we don't condemn the person. We just try to love them and all the mess and all the goofiness. Now, James is not the only writer in the New Testament who talked about the way that we can quit managing the gap and spending millions of emotional energy dollars on managing the gap. The writer of the book of Hebrews, a little survey of your New Testament. So turn your Bible a few pages, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 says essentially the same thing coming from a different direction. Not talking about our faults, but talking about our our desires, our, our opportunities, the things we aspire to. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. And let us consider talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you in the same way. If you are a Christian, you don't get an out on this, by the way. 
If Jesus is your Lord, this is to you and to me, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How we can spur each other on. Not giving up meeting together. We get together regularly to do this, as some are in the habit of doing, but we encourage one another. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a small group of people who could hear what you aspire to and they would rally around you to encourage you? I have found that there's, a, there's an absence of encouragement in the culture. Go to work tomorrow and tell people what your deepest dreams are and what you really aspire to in life and watch what they do. Don't, don't do it. it. It's meant to be a rhetorical kind of mental exercise. Very few people will rally and say good for you. And if they do, very few people will put feet behind that. But the church... Christians in small groups are supposed to be people that when we share our dreams and when we say, I know there's a gap, I want to be a good husband, but I don't live up to it. You know what they do to us? They say, I, I believe in you. Many of them will say, I've been there and I'm, I've still got a long way to go, but you can start doing some things and I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to call you and we're going to read a book together and we're going to challenge. We're going to do what the Bible calls every Christian to do. Get together in small groups and encourage one another. I think you and I would experience a lot more freedom if we had a group of people who knew how to take our dreams and hold them precious as we do. We know they're precious. That's why we often don't share them. We know that they'll be stomped on by some people. That's why we don't take the risk of sharing them. But what if you had a small group of people who committed to you and you committed to them, we're going to encourage each other. What we really need is to be known by a small group of people who know us as we really are and they love us too much to leave us there. So James, the writer of Hebrews... And Paul, to the church at Galatia, in the book of Galatians chapter 6, turn your pages. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 6 about this place where we don't have to manage the gap. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by their spirit should restore that person gently. If somebody, if somebody in the group messes up, if they fail, there should be a gentleness in the way you manage their failing. It's tough. It's tough. Recently, in our church, we had a, a senior-level leader make some mistakes, com commit some sins. And one of the toughest things I had to do ever in, in, in my ministry was release that person because he's a dear friend of mine. I'm trying to live in the tension of this passage. One of the most joyful things on the back end of one of the most painful things is to sit down with that guy now four or five times face-to-face -face and pray and hold hands and say we love each other and we're sorry. And what can I do to help? Yeah, sometimes you have to make tough decisions when there are failures, aren't, don't you? Sometimes there are implications of failure, right? But God calls us then to find a way to be gentle with the person, even as we have to manage the stuff around the chaos that's created. Are we going to do it perfectly? No. No, 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 we're not. And yet this is what we aspire to. And when the church is healthy, when believers in Jesus are taking Jesus' word seriously, this is what it looks like in our midst. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, wouldn't it be awesome to know that if you failed, you could be transparent about that, not arrogant about it, not braggadocious about it, but just transparent? And there would be a group of people who would love you anyway? 
That's exactly what God created the local church to be in the life of believers. And because we know what he's called us to do, but we often live down here, for many of you, this has not been your experience. And I'd like to tell you that if you came here, we're going to do it perfectly. I'm not sure we are. But I want you to know that this is what we aspire to. And then the, the, Paul in Galatians, he writes, just continues, he says, but watch yourselves. Watch yourselves as people are talking about their own feelings and make sure that you're not tempted. Learn from each other. Talk about it. Learn from each other. Talk about it to the entire group. No, 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 that's odd. The person who's always holding the group captive with their own failings, they're just dramatic. They have some emotional baggage to deal with. But in a small group of people, you should be able to talk and learn and explore that thing and, and, and use it as a growth opportunity to have somebody say, look, I made that mistake. Don't you do it. You don't understand what it's going to cost you. Don't you do what I do. You don't want to pay that price. Men, wouldn't it be awesome if you had a group of guys around you who would occasionally say to you, watch where you let your eyes go. Because you think it's a glance, but let me tell you in my life, a glance turned into a prolonged look that turned into a communication, that turned into a series of communications, that turned into a series of bad communications, that turned into a few meetings, that turned into an affair. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Wouldn't it be awesome if you had a small group of people that you could just let down your guard? I'm not talking about a group of people that just rally around your brokenness. And they're broken too, and so you're all broken together, and you're just loving your brokenness. And you know, that's, that, that reminds me of a, a bunch of high school guys that I used to teach sitting around the, the park bench smoking weed together, and they're all talking about how bad society and their parents and the school is, and they all feel deep community, but nobody's calling out anything good in anybody else. I'm not talking about that kind of dynamic. I'm talking about the kind of a dynamic where we spur one another on to good works. And then the Bible says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And the Bible tells us that the law of Christ is the love of Christ in action. It's love doing. What we really need is to be known by a community of people who know us where we are and how we are, and they love us too much to leave us there. And Paul, again, in Romans 15, very quickly, he says, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Sometimes it's going to take us effort. This is hard work. Strength is for service, not status. Oh, I want to be known for something. But if God's given you a strength, it's not to be known for something. It's to serve people. You're blessed in some regard? Awesome. You have a strength in some regard? Awesome. You probably will receive a certain amount of accolade for that. But for the follower of Jesus, the accolade is never enough and it's not what you're called to. The strength is to call us to service, not status. Each one of us can, needs to look after the good of the people around us. I can't do that to everybody, but I can do that to a small group of people and ask each other, how can I help? Let me ask you this. Who's helping you carry that? You know what the that is I'm talking about if you'll take just a moment. That thing that you don't want to, anybody to know about. That thing that has nipped at your heels for years. That thing, your deepest fear. That, that thing that causes you to spend so much emotional energy managing the gap. Who's helping you carry that specific thing as it is in your real life? Followers of Jesus, you don't have that? I know why. Our culture is never going to encourage it. 
The enemy of your soul doesn't want you to be in a group like that. These groups take work. They don't happen overnight. You can't force them together. They're, 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 they're a dynamic that happens when over time you get together in a rather stilted and contrived way, but you're honest and you're bold and you're willing and somebody takes a risk. And when they do, people begin to respond imperfectly, but they begin to respond and you begin to call out in each other the things that the scripture is calling us to. Who in your life will look at you and say, wow, that's terrible. I want to help you carry that burden. This is what we want to do in this church. We can't do it in this room. This room is for the word of God to be preached and for our eyes to be lifted and worship to him and to engage the conversation that the culture's having and letting them know that at the core of their conversation, there is a God who answers every question. But there are small groups of people, formally and informally, in the catalog, not in the catalog, of people who get together and more and more around here are experiencing a place where they don't have to manage the gap and the loneliness of their soul is being attended to. The church is supposed to be that preeminent environment where we carry one another's burdens. Romans 14, welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Uh-oh. We're going to have to be gentle with our opinions. Uh-oh. Christians are not good at this, are we? You don't believe creation the way I believe it? You're not a Christian. You don't believe the end times the way I believe it? You're not a Christian. You don't believe in the gifts the way I believe it? You're not a Christian, at least not one as good as me. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they say or do something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they're Strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with, Paul tells us. Treat them gently. This is that environment of love and acceptance and grace. It's the real love now when you need it. In Romans 15, 7, accept one another. (laughs) Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, you want to know how to live your life as an offering to the Lord, if that's your goal as a follower of Jesus, then accept the people that he loves. Here's what we know, that acceptance paves the path to influence. You want to have influence in a person's life? Accept them. People will naturally gravitate where they feel accepted. Your kids will do that. Your husband will do that. Your worker will do that. And God wants the church then to be the place where you feel accepted. So let me ask you again, who are you going to do life with? I know who you're going to do image management with. I've seen it. You've seen it. But who are you going to do real life with on this level? Do you have anyone? Who really knows you? Now, if while I'm talking, this stirs up in you a desire, this is what you want, I can't make it happen overnight. I can't even guarantee you that it's going to happen perfectly. In fact, I can tell you definitively that if you step into this crazy, awesome goodness, there are landmines all over the place. Some of you have already been burned here. And yet it is the very image in the mind of God that he had when he said, I'm going to create a group of people, a body of believers, and call them the church, where we could take off the mask and be known. And our struggles, our doubts, our fears, our sins, our feelings, our desires, our goals, our ambitions, people would rally around us and help us think through and process it. If you're our guest today, we want you to know that as best as we know how, we'll open our arms and make you a part of this place. And we won't do it perfectly. I'm at some point going to disappoint you. But what I aspire to 
what I aspire to are the verses that we read. So around here, we have a bunch of small group leaders. They're imperfect people. They're busy. And some of them are going to read and lead the Love Does groups, and you can find those in your catalog. And others are going to do how to read the Bible for all it's worth. If you're uninitiated in Bible stuff, you should go to this class and make me have to find five other leaders. And if you're busy, I would say to you, if what I have been talking about resonates with you, if it's the sermon of your soul and you want to be in community with those kind, not everybody, but a small group, Make the time, because it's going to require time. And I don't think that you will regret it. You may have bumps and bruises, but if you'll persevere, if you'll take your time and take baby steps in the direction, but you take steps, I think you can find exactly what God had in mind when he described the church and the pages of the writings of the author of Hebrews and James and Paul. And if it hasn't been your experience on behalf of churches everywhere, I just want to apologize to you. If it has, awesome. God didn't give you that gift so you could sit on it. He gave you that gift so you could replicate it where you are now, a small group of people. And just so you know, if you never find acceptance and love from anybody on this earth, you can always find acceptance and love right where you are from your heavenly Father through the gift of his son, Jesus. He loves you knowing everything. He wants you to turn your life over to him. In fact, why don't we take a few steps together as a congregation right now? The first step that we encourage everybody to take every week, if they haven't yet, is to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life. We want people to say, God, I have a hard time believing you love me right where I am, but I'm I'm just going to put my faith in you and faith in what Jesus has done for me in his death and resurrection, and I want you to close the gap between me and you. You can call that being saved, born again, becoming a follower of Jesus. The Bible talks about it from a lot of different angles, but effectively what you're doing is you're saying, Lord of the universe, be the Lord of my life. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. God, would you love me anyway? I accept what you've done for me. If you want to do that, we ask you to check next step A there on the connect card that you filled out earlier. And when the offering bucket comes by, put it in. And in a moment, I'm going to pray and you can use my words. You can borrow them or you can use your own. And you can say to God, God, I'm a sinner. Would you save me? Would you become the leader of the Lord of my life? Or how about next step B? You want to get baptized. And that's when our entire group will celebrate with you to the extent that we know the goodness that God is doing in your life. Check the box. We'll answer your questions about it if you're not sure. If you check the box or we'll set you up with a date to do that. But how about next step C? I want to join a small group. You know how easy it is? Just put the number there. Maybe you don't know if you want to join, but you know you're interested. Put the number down. And the leader will contact you, and you can begin a dialogue. One-step dialogue beginning. That's what this is all about. How about next step D? Pray for me. I have some fear and hurt associated with matters of faith in the church. You're not alone. There are a lot of us in this room that would say the same thing. We'll pray with you. And if you're willing to take a step, maybe join a group, you'll find a few people around here that will begin to try to love you right where you are. But we'll pray with you now. Just check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by. Or how about next step E? Is there anybody that would say, Ben, I'm going to do what I can to attend all five weeks of the Love Does message series. Maybe you can't make them all, but you're going to try. As we explore how God meant for love to act in this world. And we call each other, we spur one another on. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, God, how I long for this church to be a place where more than a slogan on the door, 
we live real love now. God, thank you that to some very real degree you've allowed us to do that. That the stories we hear over and over and over again is that people have experienced your love and grace as we have tried to love them right where they are. But God, we want to do it more. We want to do it more. We want to be a great representation of who you've called the local church to be. And we confess we don't do it perfectly. But God, give us strength. Give us strength here. Lord, I pray for each person that's committing their life to you. They're saying, Jesus, be my forgiver. Be my savior. Heavenly Father, I pray for those folks that are joining small groups and they've done it before. This is old hat. Would you give them new energy? I pray for those that are joining small groups and they are fearful. God, would you give them boldness? And I pray for each of our leaders, God, that you would help them embody this passionate call that you have given the church to be a place to set a place of love and acceptance. We commit all this to you, Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen.